There's a four for four Wendy's special I saw on Twitter. You can get four items like a bacon double cheeseburger, four piece chicken nuggets, fries, and a Coke for four bucks. And initially I'm like, damn, bring it. But then I ask myself, how is that possible? How can I get all this food for four bucks? And starting with that question, I began to pull at the thread of the American food system, and you'd be surprised how quickly everything started to unravel. Our food system is broken. It's literally killing us. Equally upsetting is learning how taxpayers, you and me, are actually funding this broken system. Now, it starts with food production. About every five years, Congress passes a new farm bill that shapes food and agricultural policy. It affects every farmer and eater in the United States. Through the farm bill, American taxpayers subsidize about 20 to $30 billion annually for farmers and agribusiness to grow cash crops like corn, wheat, rice, soy, grains that provide 80% of the world's caloric needs and on their own, aren't that unhealthy for you. But while farm subsidies were originally introduced after the Great Depression to support small farms, these days, most of these cash crops end up being used as feed for livestock or converted to cheap products and additives like corn sweeteners, industrial oils, processed meats, and refined carbohydrates, foods that are linked directly to the obesity and diabetes crisis. This allows food producers like Kraft, Nestle, Conagra, Smithfield, Coke, and others to purchase cash crops below the true cost of production. Processed sugars like corn syrup are so much cheaper than cane sugar. That's why today, when you walk into your local grocery store, you'll find processed sugars added into 84% of all items. Now, let's go back to the farm for a second. The cheap production of corn and grain also allows concentrated animal feeding operations, CAFOs, to buy feed at artificially low prices. CAFOs are defined as farms with over a thousand animals confined over 45 days a year. These places are where all of our fast food meat comes from. There's nearly 20,000 of these large-scale operations across the United States, plus over 200,000 smaller ones. But cheap animal feed comes with a different cost. In addition to the inhumane conditions at many of these operations, cows' digestive systems are designed for the consumption of grass, not grain. Grain consumption leads to a variety of issues, including increased disease, fattier meats, and massive methane production since cows have much more difficulty digesting grain. They burp, like all day and produce a whopping 27% of our country's methane gas, a way more potent greenhouse gas than CO2, which contributes to our global warming problem. Regardless of these facts, to maximize production and fight illness, CAFO operators force-feed cows cheap grain in order to fatten them up quickly. At the same time, to fight the disease-causing side effects of these feeding practices, they treat them with antibiotics. Well, antibiotics are great, right? They keep us healthy when we're sick. Well, not so much. Animals respond to the treatment by breeding antibiotic-resistant germs that can turn into diseases that are deadly for humans, like E. coli. 
The negative effects of these practices so clearly outweigh the benefits. So why do our tax dollars subsidize a private company like Wendy's ability to create the four for four? And it's not just Wendy's. I'm not just picking on them. It's McDonald's, Hardee's, Taco Bell, Burger King, Subway, and on and on. In fact, in many neighborhoods, especially disadvantaged urban neighborhoods, this is all you can find. And because these foods are so inexpensive, families are literally living on fast food. And guess what's happening? Obesity is leading to escalating rates of chronic disease like heart disease and diabetes, with nearly 10% of the entire U.S. population having diabetes. 21% of all annual medical spending in the United States is for obesity-related illnesses. And because chronic disease disproportionately impacts disadvantaged neighborhoods, it is government health insurance programs like Medicaid and Medicare that are picking up this tab. And guess who pays for those programs? That's right, you and me. So while 4 for 4 sounds amazing, it doesn't in any way reflect the true cost from a health or environmental perspective. Congressman Tim Ryan was first elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 2002 and has been re-elected seven times He's on the House Appropriations Committee that controls the expenditure of money by the federal government. It's one of the most powerful and influential committees. He is the author of A Mindful Nation, How a Simple Practice Can Help Us Reduce Stress, Improve Performance, and Recapture the American Spirit, and The Real Food Revolution, Healthy Eating, Green Groceries, and the Return of the American Family Farm. Today, I talk with Tim about the inner workings of this broken system and a better vision for a healthier and more connected future. So in some ways, it seems like we're getting a really great deal, but there's hidden costs. Like essentially we're paying tax dollars to subsidize the growth of of cash crops, but then we're also paying on the other side, to fund Medicare and Medicaid. And then we're probably also paying for our own personal health insurance. So it feels like the taxpayer, the citizen is really losing out, but it's kind of, it's kind of hidden in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. These are hidden costs to the current food system and it's money that could otherwise be spent on maybe a healthier food system, you know, paying farmers to grow healthier crops, fresh produce. You can build out an urban agricultural system that could uh, get rid of food deserts, which are urban areas primarily uh, that don't have a grocery store within a mile or two of of people's uh, uh, homes. You could spend that money on building out food and education and health education classes in our schools, where every school has a school garden, where every school has salad bars uh, at lunch, you know, money for education and research and other stuff that obviously would keep us economically competitive in the country. So it's a it's a really bad use of the taxpayers' money. Yeah, and from your perspective as a congressman making laws, where do you start to address you know, this issue? How do you tackle it? Well, it starts with uh, every four or five years, Congress puts together a farm bill, and the farm bill funds all of these agricultural programs, including the subsidy or crop insurance program that we currently have. 
you know, there's an environmental component here too, to moving the subsidies to growing produce, for example, um, making sure that investments are being made into environmentally sustainable farming techniques uh, like no-till farming, like sustainable and regenerative agriculture. You actually get a higher yield. The farmer gets more of a profit. It's better for the environment. Uh, it's better for the, the soil, which uh, you know ultimately is the key to nutrients. And then from the regenerative agriculture piece, which is, is really kind of an exciting ancillary benefit, it sequesters carbon. You're actually helping uh, contribute uh, to solving the global warming issue. And, and so like our goal should be, okay, let's make sure we spend that money in the most cost effective way. But as the military would call it, it's a force multiplier that $1 being invested actually yields two or three different benefits. And I think moving in this direction of regenerative agriculture and a new farm bill that focuses on that stuff gives us a force multiplier because we'll save the money on the back end on the healthcare system. Do you feel like you're the only one talking about it or thinking about it in Washington or is there starting to be a little bit more consensus or discussion around sort of connecting the food system to some of these other massive salient issues like healthcare and the environment? You know, it's, it's, it's starting to penetrate a little bit. Uh, Earl Blumenauer, who's a congressman out in Oregon, he has put together, and I'm a co-sponsor of this, a new farm bill. Uh, we kicked it off uh, a few months back, and Michael Pollan was here to help kick it off. There are people really thinking about this, but it's just, you know, what I'm trying to do is really bring this to the national level, because I think when you're looking at moms and suburban voters and people who are in the health and wellness, I, a lot of them aren't politically active. A lot of them don't see the connection between, you know, what they're buying, what they're eating and the national food policy. And if we can begin to get them to think of their voting, their activism in a way of put people in office that are actually going to shift this system, I think it'd be a very, very powerful force in the country. And so my goal is to make sure that we, we bring that awareness and, and then that will help push legislators and politicians to move in that direction as well. Yeah. If you're living in a food desert, and, and I have you know personal experience with this. My daughter plays soccer down in, in South Central Los Angeles, and you know every four to six weeks, you know dad has to provide snack, and dad always generally forgets that he has to provide snack until he gets to the <laughs> until he gets to the game, and uh, and then I'm out on a whirlwind driving around South Central looking for something that actually might have grown in the ground at some point because I'm not going to show back up with a bag of, of fast food. But even in the grocery stores, there's really just everything has added sugar. It's just pop and chips. What are the options for folks that are living in some of these food deserts to find real and nutritious food for their families? 
it's really, really hard. And a lot of people get their food from the corner store. And in many instances, there's there aren't a lot of options there. That's okay if 80% of your diet is good. The problem with a lot of these people living in these food deserts is, you know, 20% of their diet is good. And they're not getting, you know, when you, when you see the studies too come out, Mark Hyman and others who talk about this, just one helping of fruit or one helping of vegetables provide a lot of nutrition for somebody. So those are essential components of, of being healthy. And so we as a society, I think, need to look and say, okay, this is a real problem. If we have people who can't get a good meal uh, or a grocery store within two miles of their house, that's ridiculous. I mean, how do we, how do we allow that to happen? And so there aren't any real options for these uh, people. It's fast food or it's the corner store. And in both cases, it's not really cost effective in the long run either. And it's really, really unhealthy. Yeah. We hear a lot about how politically polarized we are as a country, but as it pertains to health and wellness, it, it seems even more exaggerated because you know, I live in a world where, you know, I hear about health and wellness all the time. And, you know, you look at trends around wellness and those trends are, are on an upward trajectory and have been for a while. At the same time that that's happening, you have this other afflorescent trend around obesity and, and diabetes and chronic disease. Is sort of the, the gap in health and wellness sort of reflective in some ways, of our polarized society more generally? And this is a bigger question for you, I guess, as a congressman. Like, how do we bring us back together? You're bringing up what I think is one of the great social justice issues of our time. The fact that, you know, young black kids in inner city don't have access to healthy food. That's unacceptable in 2018, 19 in the United States of America. And so this really is a social justice issue when you look at how your diet contributes to your cognitive ability and your ability to focus and concentrate in school, and then it's going to affect your grades. And there you go. Now you're, now you're off and running into a downward spiral that's going to affect your ability to get a job and, you know, make a good living. The underlying problem is the issue of connection. You know, we've become as connected as we are with our technology and texting and Snapchat and all the stuff that we have. Really, there's a disconnect between the suburb and the city. There's a disconnect between urban and rural. There's a disconnect between who we are and nature. So there's a disconnect between people, you know, just not being connected to each other in the way that we were 50 or 60 years ago when everybody went to church and people were a part of the rotary and everyone was active in the school and, you know, one parent was able to stay home. I mean, that there was, there were some luxuries that we had back then because of, you know, the economic situation that led to more and more connection. And we've been disintegrated from each other. And ultimately that leaves people who drive around the problem in the city. They don't see that issue every single day because the businesses aren't downtown like they used to be where everyone was kind of connected into the urban core. That's the underlying problem. And, you know, we could do a whole other interview on, on like the national policies that need to be in place for us to address them. 
you know, public transportation and walkable communities and rebuilding our downtowns and cleaning up our rivers. So we have river walks and bike trails and people can actually get back into the urban core and live there and have affordable housing and don't have gentrification and investments into the cities. Like this is part of a, a broader uh, issue that needs to be solved. I mean, we literally need to build a new bridge. You got to build the whole bridge at the same time. You can't just like build the middle of the bridge. And so that's what has to happen. It has to be part of our food system, be part of our urban redevelopment. It has to be part of our public transportation system. It has to be part of our education system. It has to be part of our healthcare system that's integrated into our education system and into our agriculture system. So that idea of connecting is really the great challenge of our country going into the next couple of years. Yeah. And I think this is the great challenge of mankind is are we going to find a way to come together and connect to solve the salient problems of our time? Because uh, if we don't, I, I, I don't know where we're going. So it's amazing to hear you talking about, from a infrastructure perspective, how we actually create more community and connection and move people more into public life where they have that ability to connect not just with people that share their own values and passions and interests, but also with with people that aren't like-minded. So I think it's easy in the face of huge, enormous problems to feel paralyzed and also feel like this is something that's happening to us and we have no control. But we do have some control, you know, on a daily basis. And, you know, you're a parent. You are on planes traveling back and forth, you know, all over the country, but particularly between Ohio and and D.C. How do you provide healthy food and a healthy environment for your children? You know, just what do you make them for lunch? Or how do you actually navigate providing some of these things for your own children? Well, it's not easy. And I think that's where you start. You you recognize that this is a challenge and you have to intentionally do it. And uh, so we, my wife and I, and I'm gone three, four nights a week. Um, so my wife, you know, carries most of the burden here. And what we do is on Sunday, we make lunches for the first, you know, three days of the week and it's fruits and vegetables and lean meats and some nuts, that kind of thing. And we, we try to make sure, okay, they're going to get one solid meal with a lot of color and, and produce in it. And then usually a dinner at night that consists of hopefully some lean meats and some vegetables and something pretty basic. But that lunch really for me is like, okay, these kids are going to eat this stuff. They like this stuff. You know, my wife does a really good job of, you know, getting the fruits out. So people, you know, the kids will just walk by and grab it. And then in the fridge with the berries and stuff, she, she takes them out and washes them and then puts them in a colander. So like you can just stick your hand in the refrigerator, you know, and grab a handful of blueberries or something. So kind of keep that stuff accessible for me on the road. It's, you know, we started buying these bars. I, I, I do some of the life hacks that, uh, Mark Hyman taught me, you know, like keep, keep some almonds around and keep almond butter and peanut butter with a little bit of honey in it, those packets 
I just had one this morning. It's hard though, you know, like you're starving. Sometimes I don't eat right. And I go to the Reagan airport in DC and it's in five guys, hamburgers and like smell them. I'm like, I'm like a cartoon character floating through the you know airport. <laughs> I, I can see it. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Smelling the five guys. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes I go over there and I get it and I take the bread off and I, you know, just eat kind of like, you know, low carb style. Yeah. And and try to do that, you know, when I'm out and about and try to, you know, do the kind of the paleo or keto or whatever they're calling it these days. Yeah. But these are the things, right? These are the hacks that you have to apply, you know, to your own life and, and until, you know, there's fresh fruits and vegetables at every on every corner, you know, you have to take some of the personal responsibility to set yourself up to live a healthier lifestyle and to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not act like you got to be perfect. You know, I swing by and get ice cream for the family. Sure. You know, even the dogs, you know, like I get a couple that the dogs will eat the ice cream. (laughs) So like, it doesn't have to be like miserable. A lot of this food nowadays, if it's done properly, that tastes good. How do we get it into the schools? How do we get it into all the neighborhoods? How do we teach people how to cook again? Like all of these things are a part of building out. That's why I think a really fun opportunity is with urban ag, uh, neighborhood uh, kitchens, kitchen incubators. There's a lot of, uh, you know, urban gardens where, where you actually could create after school jobs and summer jobs uh, you hoop houses, you can extend the growing season. I mean, there is a whole urban ag initiative that is just waiting to happen. And then you'll see in these neighborhoods, you know, there'll be a neighborhood coffee shop, there'll be a neighborhood bar, there'll be, you know, kind of like the old school, the guy who just sold the meat, there was the butcher shop, the barber shop, there was the local corner store, everybody had a garden. When you talk about walkable communities, more dense communities, people are driving less. That's a health component. That's an environmental component. So all of these things can happen. I love that vision. That's just a wonderful vision for our country at large, but also for some of the towns that have undergone a lot of economic stress. I mean, I know that in your district, you know, GM just cut a lot of jobs and um, boy, if you could come in there with a fresh vision uh, to revitalize some of these communities in a healthy way, oh, I mean, that's a game changer. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my that's my dream. That's my vision is to say, okay, in three years, we want every dilapidated home and commercial property gone and reinvested in with um, a national urban agricultural initiative. And like, we're not going to tell you what to grow or, you know, how to grow it or anything else. You you decide what you want to do. You know, some of it will be in Minnesota and some of it will be in Ohio and some of it will be in Mississippi. But we're going to clean every neighborhood up in America. You know, we're going to get this urban ag program. We could implement this vision that we have of cleaning these communities up and plugging them back into the global economy and to the automation and growth sectors of the economy because their view of the world's going to slowly change because it looks better and they feel better and they're eating better and they're healthier. And that all is a virtuous cycle that we need to plug people back into. Yeah. This is such a positive vision for America, Tim. Can you get it across? Yeah. Are, are people ready to hear that message? I think so. What's the alternative? You know, I mean, we've, we've tried the, 
cut taxes for the wealthy and hope it trickles down. You know, we've tried just government. Bobby Kennedy used a word that I just love, you know, watching his uh, anniversary a few months back was imagination. Yeah. Let's have some imagination on how we solve these problems. We're a very creative species. When you look at technology and you look at businesses and you look at artists and let's apply our our human imagination to our public problems that we have and we can solve them. And to me, that's really the call for the next generation of how we, how we fix some of these major challenges that we have. Yeah. All right. God bless you, man. Thanks for fighting the good fight. You got it. Keep it up. Thanks for listening to The Commune Podcast. Subscribe now for weekly episodes. I'm your host, Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next week.